Welcome to Peer Into Recovery, a podcast with a focus on the profession of peer support. For more information about how to subscribe, please visit our website at www.vprsn.org. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I am your host, Chris Newcomb. Thanks for listening to another episode of Peer Into Recovery podcast, and we have a great guest today. We have Sharika Lampkin Briscoe, who is coming to us from Optum Health and is going to tell us about Seeking Safety, a class that she leads there that is beneficial to peers um, in their work to recover and to achieve maximum health and wellness in their life. So let's jump right into it. Uh, Sharika, welcome to our podcast. We appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. We would like to start out with just getting to know you just a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your your story of origin, where you, where you came from, and kind of how you got to the journey to here working in peer support uh, professionally. Well, I was born in Alabama, raised in Miami, so I know all about um, what they would call drugs, rap, rock and roll, and everything else. Um, and so... <laughs> For those of you that didn't see that, I flashed the heavy metal sign. <laughs> I grew up in Miami, um, a lot of childhood trauma, a lot of adversity, um, a teen mother, um, and I moved to Virginia. And so my recovery journey started 11 years ago um, in April of this year. Mental health and substance use. Um, my uh, drug of choice were um, prescription pills, um, you know, oxycodone, um, whatever I could get my hands on. And I mixed it with alcohol because you know, that was the great thing to do at that time. That what That's what made me okay. Um, and 11 years ago, I met my, um, I met a different side of life where my son decided to wake me up and say, mommy, do I have to clean you up today? Because um, I would normally binge drink and pop pills and randomly pass out and wake up and not know that I had done those things. And so that, that was an eye opener for me. Um, and I chose that day to do something different. Mm. Um, and so we all know that that's not easy. Uh, but five oh. years ago, my wife introduced me to peer support and I didn't know that that's what this was called. The recovery story of someone who was in active addiction or, um, someone who wanted to find a different way to deal with life's adversities, um, by looking at some of the positive things and making sure that I always carry me with me. Um, so I've been in this field now for five years. I've been in mental health for 20 years. So this is just another, another side to life for me. And this is just my day to day. It's interesting that you bring up that your son had, had kind of had this aha moment with you. And they, they say out of the mouth of babes, often mm-hmm. truth comes um, to, to wreck our categories, to show us things that we may not see. It bears mentioning you, you grew up in Miami, correct? Correct. And now you live in... Chester, Virginia. Okay, so big difference there. Absolutely. No beaches, you know, hurricanes, not too much. That might be a positive. I kind of miss the hurricanes. I grew up a kid that hurricanes for us just meant no lights, you know, strong winds. And we could sit on our porch, you know, in my grandmother's rocking chair and be in the eye of a storm. And it'd be the most calming, exhilarating thing ever because we fell asleep to the wind and the rain and and so, you know, while we had daylight, we did things like ran barefoot, racing up and down the street. We engaged with one another. And so um, Virginia is a big, big, big difference. Um, I miss home, but 
I think Virginia is a better space for my children if I could just add some of the avenues from my childhood. Right. Well, it sounds like it was a, well, first of all, very brave as a uh, as a non Florida resident. I'm like, uh, no, uh, enjoy the hurricanes. I'm gonna stay up here. It sounds like it was a it was a, simultaneously what could have been a dangerous time was also a time of innocence and being connected to kind of more of the elemental elemental things of life you know you mentioned mm-hmm. falling asleep to the wind um, which would make a great song lyric by the way now we can just put our cell phone on i tried that it doesn't have the i literally have to open my window and hear the crickets and the birds because as a child that was my safe bubble locking myself in my room and opening the window and listening to the crickets listening to the dogs bark listening to the traffic whatever the element could be that that's what rested my mind and brought my mind back to ease and so and in a lot of sense that's the part of my recovery journey as well because it, it it still to this day creates a safe space safety really is everything it's an all or nothing thing half safety is still half danger mm-hmm. to have that safety as a kid especially is is absolutely necessary it sounded like you in your early uh formative years some had some real lack of safety going on that made a huge impression upon you as a young person about maybe the way the world works or doesn't work and then how do you deal with that inner stuff going on as it relates to the outer stuff that's not not safe? Right. So for me, I think I always, singing was my thing. As a kid, I could make a beat, sing a song, sing a hook to anything. My favorite singer of all time is Fantasia. So she's up there with Houston for me. Um, and I also like indie, so I like India Irie. Very soulful singers, singers that can take you from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum, and they do it so gracefully. That created a safe bubble because I would go in my head to certain things, and music was one. I was called a walking radio. Just created a safe space, so I would stay involved in the in the choir at school, in the choir at church. I spoke well as a, as a teenager, and so I became a youth minister. And then I questioned the religion too much, kind of like stepped down, because for me, I still have a lot of unanswered questions, but um, as it relates to my trauma, because to me, it's like, how can, at that time, it was, how can God love me? And he allowed this to happen. Huge question. A very realistic and important question. Yeah. It wasn't until I got older that I... I started to understand and I was able to explain it to my children because I was very protective of them because I just, I felt violated and the people that violated me were people that I trusted, that I I said was family, that a family that I was born into, a family that I was chosen to. And, and it just, it didn't work out that way. Um, and so I viewed everybody as the enemy, especially when it came to my children. To me, everybody, everybody represented something and we wasn't safe. The world wasn't safe. Nobody was safe. What a hard way to walk through the world, not really by choice. You know, you get that message as a child, whether, you know, children are not able to, their brain is not fully developed to see the gray in life. And so you can take a bad experience and suddenly like, like if you go to a a beach trip and have a bad experience, all beaches are bad and they have great white sharks waiting to come out and eat you. It sounds like there was some, I mean, I, I don't know if it's PTSD. How did you move through some of that to get to a place where safety 
or maybe it's still a process, but maybe more so now than when you were younger that you feel more safe in the world? So once I moved from Florida, um, I kind of put it in a box, like a treasure box. I put it in the box and I locked it away. And I became a whole other person here. You know, that person there wasn't the person here. Um, and I began to just be a different person. I was able to um, zone out and be drunk and party and do all of those things. And nobody knew my trauma. Nobody knew my story. Um, and so I would definitely hide it from people because who wants to deal with someone who doesn't know how to deal with themselves? And I knew nothing about PTSD or um, any of those things. Uh, I knew about bipolar. I knew about schizophrenia. I knew about ADHD. I knew about autism because of being in the mental health um, realm as direct support and, you know, a direct support supervisor. But I didn't know anything about all of the other things, PTSD, uh, outside of being in the military. And I've never been in the military. Meeting my wife now five years ago and her introducing me to peer support in the recovery realm um, and just seeing the work that she was doing in Baltimore um, with the impact group, her, her best friend, and just the different avenues, the different elements of recovery, the different pathways, and knowing that my pathway didn't have to be like somebody else. I was doing it on what I thought was my own for five years before that, six years before that. Um, and then she came along and was like, well, hold on. Let me let me give you some tools to help you continue down this road so that if you just don't happen to stumble, you don't have to fall. You know, you can pick yourself back up. You don't have to stay down there. And seeking safety was one of those things. It was one of those trainings along with rap and mental health first aid and um that was a big part, just being able to check in and take me with me, knowing that every day, if I made myself responsible for me, nobody else could tell my story. Nobody else could say where I was or what I was doing or what I was thinking. They would have to listen to me. Twice you've said that in, in our conversation. You said, um, take, uh, was it take me with me? I think so. you said it. Mm -hmm. Take me with me. And that's, that's, I've never heard that before. It's really powerful uh, because when we have the trauma and that kind of stuff, we, for lack of a better word, we kind of splinter, you know, if, if we have a bad relationship with family, maybe we, we become reticent to, to give our emotional reaction that's real or what's really on our mind. But taking you with you, that to me is, you know, it speaks of a real synergy of, of really being okay in your own skin and I am who I am, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. And if you like it, cool. Yeah. If you don't, go fly a kite. You know, in the, in the world that we live in, people always look for a reason to justify their behaviors. So whether it's, you know, I'm 225 pounds, so someone can come and say, well, you're fat. Okay, I was fat yesterday. I'm going to be fat today, and I might be fat tomorrow. Give me something else. Oh, well, you're dark skinned. Okay. I wasn't born on the paler side of things. So that that's a part of taking you with you inside and out. I know that I live with PTSD. Right. I know I live with severe anxiety. I know that I will forever live with the craving of popping a pill or having one too many drinks. I know that if I am presented with some things that 
my mind ain't quite used to dealing with my past trauma, that that could be the result if I do not put into place the tools from my toolbox, the coping skills, the practices. If I don't check in with me, if I don't do some groundings, I can't end up back there. I can't end up where I started. You mentioned that when you met your wife, it was a game changer. What's one thing that she may have said to you that was a game changer that like, like a light bulb went on? That I don't have to live in the shadows of, of my addiction. That I don't have to allow my addictions to live for me. And that was a big thing for me because she didn't look at me as, oh, an addict. She looked at me like another human being and said, hey, I have my own story to tell. Um, and so we're walking side by side and I'm 11 years and she'll be 25 years in October. And so it is a powerful thing to have someone that understands your day-to-day and understands that every day is not going to be good, but can meet you where you are and say, okay, let's practice some coping. What do we need to move from the toolbox? What we need to add to the toolbox? How do we need to express this journey? And a lot of it is just giving back in the community and being able to sit and talk to someone else. You know, being able to share some of my story with someone else just to encourage them, hey, you're not out here by yourself. You ain't doing this by yourself. This is what recovery looks like. It's not all dolled up. It's not wrapped in a bow. It gars, you know, it bruises. It's, it's missing teeth and black eyes. It's missing hair and we're not thrown away. You, you can't throw yeah. us in the garbage. The damaged parts can be can be healed. The word damaged for a lot of people can be like, oh my gosh, ah. It's not talking about the essence of the being of the person. Just like if I fell and broke my leg, we wouldn't be like, oh, Chris is so damaged. His tibia broken half. He needs to go to the doctor and get it put back together. And it's going to be damaged for a while. But the essence of who I am is not like, oh, he is a complete waste of space because he fell and broke his leg. You know, everything you were saying is the perfect segue into talking about you work at Optum, managed healthcare company. And how is that different as a peer recovery specialist? registered and I am a registered supervisor. So I have a master's and a bachelor's in human services with a minor in psychology. Um, and so I, um, I've worked in every realm, social work. I've worked in the realm of therapy. I've worked, I've worked at a fast food restaurant. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have experienced on every level. Um, and currently I utilize the life skills that I have in all of this education. Um, so I don't walk up to someone and say, hi, I'm Sharika, I have a bachelor's and a master. It's, hi, I'm Sharika, and I'm a person in long-term recovery. And so working in a managed healthcare, how has that been different for you experientially as a, from the peer perspective to the other places you've worked kind of doing peer stuff? Well, in the community, I have worked, so I've worked as far as peer, peer recovery goes. I've, I've been a peer. Um, both for the ACT team um, at a local CSB. I have been uh, the only peer responding to overdoses for um, a CSB underneath the supervision of fire, the fire department. You know, I've sat at tables with doctors that say that MAT is the only way and we've got into heated conversations. Um, so taking what I've learned in the field, um, I'm able to put it in on the other side of the MCO world and sit at these same tables with the governors and the um, stakeholders and managed care organizations and say, hey, 
this is what we're missing. This is what the community is missing. This is what we're missing when you're talking about peer support, when you're talking about recovery, you know, um, this is what's needed. And so I am the link between the managed care organization and the community. So I go and do trainings. I do um, visits. I, I listen to what the problem is, listen to what, what's limited, what can be used more, what can we remove? Um, and I take it back and I'm able to represent not only the managed care organization, but I'm, I'm able to represent individuals like me, people in long-term recovery, people with mental health diagnoses, um, people that's dual diagnosed that don't even realize it. Um, just, just by that. A lot of it's intimidating because a lot of the language is different. So they're speaking this professional jargon and I'm still saying, hey, listen, this is what it is. So just, you know, the segue into the communication part um, is a lot, but I wouldn't trade it because all of this experience is, is life-changing because you couldn't tell me 10 years ago, 11 years ago that I would be in this space. You know, it's a vital role because there are, you know, there's stereotypes about everything in life, rightly, right. wrongly, good or bad. You right. know, like, oh, managed care company, oh, they're evil. Oh, the peer support people, they don't know anything. Psychiatrists right. just want to give you a pill. You know, we have all those things. But all of it has value in some sense. And it, so for, for what it sounds like is you're kind of going in with like the, the, the peer flag and like putting it in the middle of the table and going, okay, guys, um, you guys have some value in what you're saying. This is the peer flag. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. And why we hold it high, because there are people in the community that suffer from XYZ PDQ, and the language is different from what an MCO does. Yeah. And so let me tell you a little bit about that. Do you feel yeah. like you, you hear, you, you get open ears and hearts and minds? When I started, no, because, you know, as you just stated, a lot of people uh, that have acronyms behind their names, whether it's clinician, whether it's doctor, um, Esquire, a lot of people look at you like, okay, you're just an addict that became clean for the moment. You don't really know what you're talking about. We went to school for this and, you know, we have this education. It, it wasn't until my very first interaction, um, peer to peer, um, had a very, um, he was in the middle of a crisis um, and nobody could get him to calm down. I mean, throwing chairs, I mean, everything. I mean, lunging at people, threatening to kill people. Nobody could get him to calm down, not the doctor, not the clinician, nobody. And I had just come into work and all I heard was, we need support up front. So I come up front to the lobby and you know, you have to examine the situation and you have to make sure that everybody's safe and I just politely say, can I get everybody to kind of like remove themselves? This is too many people for one person. This person is overstimulated. You got to give this person some space. And so just immediately went into what I knew, which was grounding. Let's focus somewhere. Let's start somewhere because we're not going to be able to talk about the problem if we can't calm down. I said, because right now they're looking at us like we need to be in an asylum. And when I say us, I mean me and you both, because they're looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm standing here and they're looking at you like you need to be dosed. 
And it's not that we don't have to be that way. And when I say crazy, I don't mean um, in a mental sense. I mean in a, oh my gosh, she's putting herself in danger. She's putting herself in safety. Safety, something has to be wrong. But all my training says, give the person a certain amount of distance, but talk directly to the person. Talk to the human being. Don't talk at them using their diagnoses. Talk to them. And it took about 45 minutes, but I had the doctor's ear. I had the clinician's ear. I even had the receptionist sitting there taking notes. And after that, the debriefing was, all right, how do we do this? How do we work together? Yeah. And it seems to be that way everywhere you go, you have to make an example out of somebody to let them know I'm more than just a pretty face. Yeah, and it's the school of hard knocks, really, versus the school of formal education. And and they they each have ups, you know, ups and downs, good and bad, or however you, mm-hmm. we look at it. Um, but if you have, I mean, if you have the two of them together, one person look really look out. But if you don't, and you have two right. people with those skills and they can work together, look out because now you've got you've got one. It's like in the military, they say watch your six, which is watch your back, mm-hmm. you know. And so your your other teammates are watching for sniper fire behind you. And it's the same thing when you're going in to help someone in crisis. It's like, okay, yeah. I can come at it from the diagnostic standpoint. You can come at it from the life experience standpoint. Both are important, and that's how we, you know, can work together. So that's powerful with the MCO, you know, to have you be able to bring that perspective. So. You've had that same experience in your life with safety. So tell me how that plays into the work you're doing with seeking safety as a formal group and, and kind of teaching, and then how your your life experience informs that. So seeking safety is a training that um, embodies creating a safe space for peer-to-peer interaction. So it can be done um, with a group of peers. It can be done one-on-one, but it's, it's, it's putting putting control back in the hands of the peer itself, but in a safe space, you know, I'm not going to judge you because you told me that you used today. I'm not going to judge you. If you told me you didn't stick to your commitment, I'm not going to judge you. If the topic of our group today is empathy and you tell me that you don't even know what that is. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to um, listen to you. I am here to teach. I am here to learn from you and I am here to help you build a safe way to process so that, you know, maybe next week you'll stick to your commitment. Maybe next week that'll be seven more days of you not using again, Um, that you can feel the consistency and change. And so pretty much embodies um, a meeting without a meeting. And it can be done peer to peer. It doesn't have to be a clinician doing it or or a doctor doing it in psychosocial. No, it could be a group of peers sitting together having a discussion. So kind of as I kind of joked earlier, is like whenever two or three are gathered, you you can have a meeting. In this case, you know, and a meeting is a conversation. It's Mm -hmm. a presence, a physical presence, or a Zoom presence in this case, but a presence and then a conversation. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. is there a formal curriculum or book? There is a formal curriculum. Read read the title for me. Seeking Safety. So it says Seeking Safety, a treatment manual for PTSD and substance use. But it goes so far beyond PTSD and substance use. 
Um, the, this, the group itself can be called Seek and Safety or you can call it whatever you want to call it. But it's so many different topics and activities and quotes. And so let's take this page, for instance. It says, coping with triggers. That's the topic of the group that day. And the quotation is, when you do a thing, do it with all your might. Put your whole soul into it. Stamp it with your personality. Be active, be energetic, be enthusiastic and faithful, and you will accomplish your object. That, that's a great quote. It sounds like in Seeking Safety to get mm -hmm. people to realize, I already have these qualities. Uh, they yeah. may have gotten hijacked by PTSD or trauma of some sort, and you know, but this, this, this safety thing. So the thing that ties mental health and substance use on all on all spectrums together is the safety part. So when you're in active addiction or, or living with the diagnoses or even um, on the ID side and you have diagnoses, the thing that plays the most on all of these spectrums is the fact that nobody's concerned about their safety, right? Yeah. Nobody's concerned about their safety. When we're using, we're not using it saying, oh, I'm gonna use safely. I'm gonna drink safely. You know, yeah, in the intellectual disability world, they're not saying, oh, well, I want my weekly allowance or I'm going to run outside, but I'm going to do it safely. But then when we realize, you know, when we have that moment of clarity, when we have that moment of understanding and we realize everything we are doing is putting our life in jeopardy some way, shape, or form. If I create a safe barrier for myself, and I do mean safe barrier, not barriers, not hindrance, but if I create a safe line, then I know that I can get more done behind this safe line, with this safe line wrapped around me than I would ever be able to get done just out here. So in the recovery round, your toolbox is like your vest right? Your safety vest, mm -hmm. your um, taking you with you, your recovery journey is like your gun, right? Because it's already loaded and it's loaded with all of these things that you already know about yourself that nobody can use against you. And so then being present, putting you in the forefront is your badge. It's the badge that says, I have been through some things but those things don't hold me back. You know, they're not listed all over me, but those things don't hold me back. No, they actually propel you forward. My test will always be my testimony. My trials will always help propel me into victory, you know? So, and I use right. air quotes because everybody has their own, um, own little tidbit. They want to put it in and how they want to do things. But at the same token, it's just, Safety is everything. And once, once we create a safe space, once we help peers create a, help, a safe space, you, you'll see a world of difference. And of course, like anything else, like medicine, it's going to take a while. You know, like, like treatment, cancer treatment, it's going to take a while. HIV mm -hmm. treatment, take a while. You know, detox, it takes a while. When the light starts to go on, then it's like I start getting out the like the the pom poms, you know, like the cheerleader pom poms. Like you can't do it, be safe, yeah, you know, because you see that enthusiasm, and all of a sudden it's like they are like a horse, you know, to water, or someone coming out of the desert to an oasis. It's like, oh my gosh, this is not all there is. And and seeking safety just sounds like such a great oasis for folks in the desert of of um, 
uncertainty and lack of safety. So let's close with this. There's an artist named Harry Connick Jr. came out with an album in 1994 called She. There's a song on that record called Safety is Just Danger Out of Place. And how important it is with our discussion today, the emphasis on having internal safety, not to the exclusion of external safety, but that internal safety is so important for mental health recovery and continued health and wellness. So Sharika, thank you so much for being a part of our program today and all the great work you're doing at the Managed Care Organization and reaching out to the community and being a peer liaison to bring help and hope and healing to folks. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank our listeners for listening to the Peer into Recovery podcast, which is brought to you by the Virginia Peer Recovery Specialist Network and Mental Health America Virginia. And if you like our show and would like to subscribe to the podcast, please visit our website at www.vprsn.org. And please leave us a brief review on iTunes. In the meantime, please take care of yourselves, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thank you.